there. Welcome to Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Spots. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple like to shoot the shit about movies and TV shows. Indeed, that we do, that we do. And this week, we are watching our very first Marvel television show on our show, and I'm really excited to talk about this one in particular. We are discussing Moon Knight. Released in 2022. So, Scott had never seen Moon Knight. I had, and I was very excited to show it to him. And, um, yeah, I watched it again, and I loved it again. And, Scott, what were your overall feelings about this TV show? Um, I think it's very good. It's one of the most different yes. things involved in the MCU. There are some parts I really enjoyed, and there are some parts I was like, it's a little slow. Right. I mean, I, I definitely agree with you. I don't think it's perfect. I think there are slow parts to the show. It focuses a lot on Egyptian culture, and it was very concerned and very focused on keeping authenticity in that regard. It is the first Marvel Studios project that was directed by an Arab person, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, just so you guys know, we're going to like talk about everything in the show um so if you haven't seen it yet and you don't want spoilers don't listen to this watch the show first and then listen to this and also just in case you haven't listened to our previous episodes regarding television shows it is going to be different than a movie review we're going to speak a little more extemporaneously about the show in general and the characters and the plot although because this show is only six episodes we probably will be able to give like a more uh, direct through line through the plot of the first season of Moon Knight. I say the first season because there will be a season two. I'm very excited about that. There will be 12 episodes in season two. I believe it's filming like soon. Interesting. As we were saying before, what Scott was saying about the show being particularly unique, and Scott brought this up while we were watching it. This is, I believe, the first marvel tv series that they've done on disney plus that really has no pre-established characters at all it's its own thing which i appreciate actually a lot <laughs> yeah it is its own thing and it is very unique in that way but i also think this focuses much more on the mental aspect of our character yes than any like wandavision is probably a close second for that because it is focusing on Wanda and her changing psyche. But this was very much... Like, I kept waiting for some of the action to pick up. But that really isn't what this was about. And maybe that was a good thing? Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I think in a lot of ways it is very typical of MCU in that it, it does have a big bad. It, there are a lot of fight scenes. I do think this show has some good ones. And some like, okay, whatever ones. But yeah, I think the the crux of the show is really focusing on Oscar Isaac's character into his psyche and all that good stuff. And that's that's why I particularly love it. It's just like a character study. But yeah, as I said, there were six episodes of the first season of Moon Knight released from March 30th through May 4th of 2022. Um, the average IMDb score of the episodes is 8.1 out of 10 stars. And the Rotten Tomatoes score is uh, 86% critics, 91% audience. I would like to guess, uh, do you have what the lowest and the highest episodes are? I do, uh, actually. Can, can I take a guess? Sure. I would say the lowest is three and the highest is five. That's correct. And actually, I would, I would agree with that sentiment because I remember Scott said he looked up reviews and stuff, just like generally, and they are mostly good from what I understand, but the main critique, I guess, is that there are kind of slow parts in there. Yeah, that's the main critique. They kind of drag. The thing about the Marvel formula with the TV shows right now is they're trying to release weekly to try and make them last longer in the public domain and public eye. Mm -hmm. I remember hearing people talk about it when they were doing that, saying... Yeah, I'm just kind of waiting for something to happen. Yeah. Well, that's kind of why I don't like to watch these shows as they're coming out. I kind of just wait till they're all out and then binge them in one shot. Because I feel like then you get... You can look at it like an epic or like a really long movie, essentially. You know what I mean? Yeah. In a way, I've, I've, I like that better, just getting it all 
out there at once. <laughs> yeah, when you get to binge it, you kind of... The lulls don't feel as big. Lully, yeah. <laughs> Lully, if that's a word. So let's, let's start from the beginning as far as the preliminary fun facts so we can break open this sucker um so the history of the character of moon knight because i feel like moon knight the superhero character is a lot like you know like a guardians of the galaxy or something like that where like not a lot of people knew who that was (laughs) like i knew of moon knight in like the periphery so the character was created by doug munch I don't know if I'm saying that right, but we're going to pretend that I am. And Don Perlin, who both have history with the comics game. You know, Doug Munch did a line of Hulk comics in the 70s and a line of Batman comics in the 80s. And then Don Perlin, he's an artist. He did Ghost Rider, uh, The Defenders, and a lot of other things. Moon Knight's first solo appearance in the marvel comics was in 1980 and then sporadically they would release different volumes over the years most recently being in april of 2022 which they they when they released a line of comics to coincide with the disney plus series which was probably pretty smart to do yeah definitely good expand your uh, comic brand yeah so the series was created head written and executive produced by jeremy slater who was also a writer and executive producer on Umbrella Academy. But uh, other producers, of course, include Kevin Feige. And Oscar Isaac himself was a producer, and I believe he'll also be an executive producer in season two. Uh, The lead director is a guy named Mohamed Diab, who is an Egyptian writer-director, very concerned about the Egyptian authenticity, like I said before, which is prevalent throughout the show. And there were several writers, and the composer was also Egyptian. He worked on a lot of movies and television uh, in Egypt, and the all the music was authentic Egyptian, which I really liked. I mean, it really got you into the vibe of the show, but also it's just nice that like they took this superhero that is probably more obscure from a culture that maybe not a lot of people know a lot about and kind of brought it to the forefront and displayed it for all to see in like this really cool way it was very interesting especially touching on egyptian culture and all the gods yeah last fun fact i guess before we get into this we because we did mention before that this is the only marvel tv series to date that has no connections to prior established characters. And apparently, Jeremy Slater had planned to have a big action sequence at some point in the show with some of the Eternals, and it was cut, which was a good choice (laughs) because who gives a shit about the Eternals? (laughs) Still haven't seen it yet. You don't have to. I'll see it eventually. I mean, like, it it upsets me how boring it was. It was, like, three hours long, and it was so boring. What, you're telling me the director of the Academy Award-winning... Oh, God, what was the name of that movie? The one where she's, like, going from town to town. She's a nomad. Nomadland. Yeah. (laughs) So you're telling me the director of the incredibly long and boring Nomadland directed an incredibly long and boring MCU movie? I know. Can you believe it? <laughs> I mean, I, I like Chloe Zhao, but yeah, it was it was a boring-ass movie. Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, I guess we can get into this now. Are you excited, Scott? Yeah, let's definitely dive in. I'm definitely excited to talk about this. So I guess the first thing we need to establish, I, I feel like this is a thing that is well-known um, at this point at this point now the show's been out a while so th- the main character the moon knight is a guy with multiple personality disorder actually it's not called multiple personality disorder anymore it's called dissociative identity disorder that's like the technical term and it basically means it's a person with multiple different personalities and Stephen grant is one of the personalities the first thing we get in episode one is our our main character Stephen grant waking up in his apartment by himself in his bed to a song called A Man Without Love by Engelbert Humperdinck, which is like 
the theme song of this whole show it pops up multiple times and it's very like you know a very swingy type 60s song it's fun every day i wake up then i start to break up lonely is a man without love every yeah it, it, it's interesting you learn like little things about this guy like he has his leg tied to a bedpost yeah he has sleep issues scott leave the man alone because apparently he wakes up at random places and doesn't remember how he got there. Yes. So Stephen Grant is a museum gift shop worker in a museum in London. He has a very obnoxious British accent, which wasn't in the comics. Yeah, it's a little rough. I think, I mean, as we'll find out later, I think it was done purposefully like that. Well, yeah, of course it's done purposefully because it makes it easier to distinguish. Right. He has a fish with one fin. He's got like a little Nemo situation going on. and uh, He's obsessed with Egypt. Yes, he knows everything and anything about Egypt. That's why he, he wants to be a tour guide in the museum. But his boss is a cunt. And he calls his mom all the time and quote-unquote talks to her and he always says the uh, when he's saying goodbye to her he always says later skaters and it's like there were certain when you rewatch it and you like hear these certain things and see certain like easter eggs in the beginning it kind of like makes me like oh <gasps> like if you've watched this already it's it's worth a rewatch because they uh tease certain things that are coming throughout the series it's kind of funny but um yeah he is very socially awkward he has a bit where he talks to a, a living statue performer on the street. Which is, kind of goes nowhere. You know, I was saying that to you. It only comes up twice, like in uh, maybe, the, maybe the first one or two episodes. And then he never comes back. I thought it was going to come back at some point that he, like, Stephen is, you know, talking to him and just talking, talking, talking about his life and his trials and tribulations. And the living statue guy is saying nothing and just doing his job. And then at some point I thought it was going to come back and the living statue was going to like break character and talk to him, but it never happened. I thought that would have been funny. Well, either that or at one point, like the living statue was just going to go, dude, get the fuck out of here. Like just, just something. Yeah. Just just go home, get a life or something. Yeah. And, um, then you see the first real manifestation of his sleep issues. He kind of blacks out and wakes up in the Alps. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in like the mountains and shit and there's this like scary creepy voice of f murray abraham <laughs> behind him like surrender the body you fool and it's like a whole it's very weird it, it's funny because okay he's amongst this crowd of people and he does i know frankie won't get this reference but he does like the assassin's creed where he flips up his hood and try and melds in with the people and like yeah oscar isaac would be really good for assassin's creed but, uh, yeah, and he starts seeing our main villain, Ethan Hawke. Yes, he plays Arthur Harrow. And weirdly, this is the first time we're talking about Ethan Hawke on this show. He's done a lot of, like, great movies over the years, but we've never talked about him, I think, before. Yeah, he, he's really good as this character. Yeah, he really kills it. Um, like I said, his name is Arthur Harrow. And he's basically a cult leader. Um <laughs> He's got this magical little tattoo of the scales of justice. He ends up going up to Stephen and is like, give me the scarab. When Stephen woke up, he found this golden scarab on his person. And he's like, what the hell is this thing? And the evil F. Murray Abraham voice behind him. By the way, F. Murray Abraham was Salieri in Amadeus. If you've never seen that movie, I feel like, I mean, we watched that in high school. Yeah. But um He's got a very distinct voice, and it's very creepy in this show. Well, it's even gotten even more distinct as he's gotten older. I only punish those who have already done harm. I am real justice. Stephen kind of has a confrontation with Harrow, and he's like, give me the scarab, and uh, F. Murray Abraham voice is like, surrender the body to Mock, which is, it ends up being his other personality who we'll talk about in a minute when we meet him. But, yeah, it's all just very confusing. 
in the beginning not really i mean not as much for the audience like confusing that you can't follow it but just confusing like intriguing like what the hell is going on here well because we're following steven early on and then we kind of flipped the script and the next two episodes were kind of fully with mark you're constantly asking yourself questions as they go and when Steven loses control, they did a good job with him rolling his eyes into the back of the head and the screen flashes and we clearly like wake up back with Steven. So it, it's done in a way that is easy to understand that. So this leads to like a big chase scene. Steven is driving like an ice cream truck or a donut truck, some kind of weird truck through the mountains being chased by the bad guys. And he keeps blacking out in between himself and Mark and it's just very hectic and crazy and then all of a sudden he just wakes up in his bed again and you're like what the fuck wait how did he get where how what happened <laughs> that happens quite a few times in the show like I feel like that's how they end a lot of the action scenes they're just in the thick of it and then right at the peak of the action they break out of it and just he wakes up either like in his bed or on the bus like well, it's just weird <laughs> a lot of the things in this show wants you to question is Steven crazy is what he's seeing actually happening they kind of play with this throughout the show with both Steven and Mark what's real what's not real who's the alpha and who's the copy right well that's that's immediately kind of established from the beginning because you assume because you're following Steven from the beginning that he is the original person and because in the beginning when Steven starts to catch on to this other personality being Mark he's established to be a very like violent scary dude that like does all this crazy shit so you just assume that Mark is the evil twin for lack of a better term but then once you kind of learn more about both of them as people, you're like, oh, no, Mark had a life, too. Like, we find out that Mark has a wife and he had a whole life apart from Steven. So it becomes very I just I love the mystery of it. Like, I was really trying to unravel this whole ball of yarn throughout the whole series. And I really I liked that. I liked that I didn't really know where it was going a lot of the time. So when Steven wakes up again, he like is totally fucking freaked out. Like what the hell is going on? And then he ends up going back to his apartment. He finds a hidden compartment in his place and it has a cell phone in there and a, a key to a storage locker. And he looks at the phone and there's like a hundred missed calls from this girl named Layla who just happens to call him while he has the phone out and he answers the phone and she calls him Mark and he freaks out and hangs up and is like, what the fuck? So it's just little seeds that are being planted throughout this whole first episode to like establish that something is rotten in Denmark or Egypt, perhaps. So then we establish the mirror conversations because the thing I feel like you were worried about and you mentioned this when we were watching the show like in the beginning because you knew it was like a split personality thing. So you're like, how are they going to stage this? Like where there's two different personalities. Yeah. Initially, they were doing it very much where it was just kind of in Steven's head. And then they started doing the mirror stuff. By the way, thank God there are so many mirrors and so many reflective surfaces all around Steven at all times. It's interesting you bring that up because I think I've mentioned this before on the show. But in case uh, you guys forgot, I'll mention it again. So when I was a, a youngster, uh, I had kind of a guilty pleasure type affinity for soap operas. I know, it's scandalous. Me, the connoisseur of shit, like soap operas, trashy soap operas. I can't, I can't believe it. So in a lot of soap operas, at least back in the day when I watched soap operas, split personality type storylines were a thing for sure obviously they were not played at all for accuracy they were played for the drama of it for sure but the way that they would have the alters talk to each other a lot of times pretty much all the time would be in the mirror so it did kind of remind me of that but just like super elevated right because let's be honest oscar isaac's presence in this show just completely elevates the material i think because when you see 
Stephen Grant versus the other personality, Mark Spector, they, you can tell they are completely distinct characters, completely different from each other from the way they stand, the way they walk, the way they talk, the way they look, just the way they... The curl of their hair. Yeah, just like, with, you mean, like they don't have to say anything and you know immediately who it is just by looking at like a shot of them, like a, a freeze frame, you would know immediately. And I feel like that is the sign of a very good actor. Yeah. The dual personality thing has been done a, a few times in movies. Uh, DiCaprio did it in uh, The Man in the Iron Mask. Fight Club and like Split too. Yeah, Split's pretty good. Or Psycho too. Yeah, Psycho. Yeah, There's been a lot of like kind of uh, Split personality type movies, yeah. But uh, Oscar Isaac does it very well here. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So <laughs> towards the end of the first episode, Harrow kind of tracks... Stephen down with his like uh, some of his flunkies you know and he's like I need the scarab and he's like I don't have it I really don't I don't know what you're talking about he's like okay fine bro you want to be that way sure be that way um I'm gonna wait until you're alone in the museum doing inventory and then I'm gonna sick my Egyptian jackal beast upon you jackal jackal a jackal jackal it's a jackal! It looks like a jackal! 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 It's a jackal! Jackal! Time! It wasn't right the first time you said it! Why the hell would it be right the next ten times? And it's gonna chase you into the bathroom because you're a little sissy who runs to the bathroom. And then you're obviously Mark because, I mean, what what are there a ton of in a bathroom? Dear mirrors, right? So Mark talks to Stephen and he's like, give me the body, Stephen. I'll get us out of this. And then you see the first transformation into the moon night with the whole suit thing um the the visual effects with the suit are not great no but like there are other visual effects in the show to be fair that are good but the suit not great <laughs> not great effects but it's but it's once, okay. <laughs> but once the suit is on, once it's on, it's fine. Well, because he's, I think he's actually wearing a yes. suit. Like I don't think the whole suit is. But the transformation, not great. But we forgive you, Moon Knight. It's fine. It's only a little little portion of the whole pie, so we're okay with it. And then Moon Knight kicks the living shit out of the jackal, which gets Stephen fired. Yes, it, it does. Which I thought that was strange. They don't arrest him for destruction of property and they don't throw him in a wacky shack. So like what what are his consequences for that? Like he just goes home. <laughs> well, he loses his job, but Well, yes, but I meant like, you know, yes. the law, dear. But <laughs> they think he's insane. I mean, I'm not a lawyer. Let's call fucking Daredevil. <laughs> Well, he, I'm a really good lawyer, <laughs> Stephen. <laughs> I'm a really good lawyer, Stephen. I'm a really good lawyer. I can catch a brick out of midair. If you can catch a brick, you can catch a ball. <laughs> anyway, Stephen gets fired. He finds the storage locker that goes with the key that was in the secret compartment in his apartment that he didn't know about. And he goes into this storage locker, storage unit or whatever, and it's just it's like a cot. And bags of fake passports and money and guns and the golden scarab. Yeah. So he's like, fuck, this is bad. And then Mark comes in with the reflection talk and basically gives Stephen the hot tea, which is that Mark slash Stephen, I guess, kind of, is an avatar for the Egyptian god of the moon named Khonshu, who was F. Murray Abraham voice. And Khonshu appears in his... Terrifying skeleton bird-like splendor. He kind of looks like that's a skeleton version of like a plague mask. Mark tells Stephen, like, listen, I made a deal with Khonshu, and I have to do this mission, and once I do, he'll free me, and everything will be kosher, so, like, just let me do my thing, man, and you'll never see me again, and everything will be fine. Stephen runs away, because, you know, that's what Stephen does, for the for the most part, at least in the beginning of the show, and as he is running out with fear and fervor, Layla comes along and saves the day. Layla El Fooley is the character's name, and she is played by Mae Kalamawi, 
who is an Egyptian Palestinian actress. She did mostly shorts and television since moving to the U.S. in 2015, but I think she did a great job. Uh, she is Mark's wife, but she is also like a badass archaeological queen who knows all about Egypt because she's from Egypt, and yeah, she's a badass. I, I think early on, it's very much like how does she fit into this world a little bit, but I think around episode four, she really kind of gets her footing. Maybe. I don't know. I think I think episode three, she kind of gets into it. It's probably the, the least good episode, but the good things about it come from Layla and Mark. Indeed. Because once we establish in episode two that Layla, like I said, is Mark's wife, and he apparently wants a divorce from her. She brings divorce papers to Stephen's apartment and he's like, Oh no, I would never divorce you. And he basically, he tells her flat out, like, listen, I'm not Mark. I'm Steven. I don't know exactly what's going on here. And he's almost going to show her the scarab, but Mark's like, don't do that. Cause you're going to put her in danger. You get her killed. Don't do that. But she ends up finding it anyway. And apparently her and Mark had been looking for the scarab, I guess for, for, archaeological purposes or maybe just to like keep it away from the bad guys it's not it's not super clear but like uh, she knows she knows that mark is yeah. the moon knight she knows mark's the moon knight but she also i think she does bring up selling stuff for money that's true yeah she does she's but she says that because she's egyptian so she wants to take from the black market and give it back to their rightful owners meaning like just home for her and she says she keeps some of them to pay the bills so she so she might say this belongs to the museum ah yeah she's our indiana jones of the picture when she finds the scarab she mentions like it's a compass to amit's tomb now amit is another egyptian god that's who harrow is after the whole premise of the show centers around harrow has basically built this religion around the egyptian god amit her whole bag was like, I want to punish and destroy people who have done bad things or will ever do bad things. So she wants to take out bad guys before they even make the choice to be bad guys. And Khonshu is very much against that because he is like, I am real justice. I only punish those who do bad things. So I'm better than you. And that's their whole bag. And because Mark is Conscious avatar and Harrow wants to be Amit's avatar. You know, he wants to resurrect her. That's the conflict because also Harrow also used to be Conscious avatar. So he's very like, huh, fuck you, Conchu. Well, that's one thing. I-, I wanted them to go into it more. Yeah, they like barely touch on that. It kind of just is like a weird rivalry. And the deepest it gets with that relationship is... At one point, Harrow says, like, oh, I used to enjoy what you made me do to people. That's my greatest sin. And I was like, ooh, okay. There's something there. But I do like that this show brings up the concept of, like, oh, if you could go back in time and kill Hitler when he was a baby, would you? It's like that kind of thing. You know that this tiny little person is going to grow up to be this big bad person so what what do you do actually no they brought it up in uh endgame didn't they yeah when, when don Cheadle's like if we can do this you know go back in time why don't we just find baby thanos you know and first of all that's horrible it's thanos it's very interesting because you want this to be wrestled with more yeah they could have like dove deeper into it but again i i, I think it's more like what you said like they touch on these like bigger things a little bit but the main i think crux is just this character study of mark slash steven you know what i mean yeah so these cops come but they're not really cops they're just like a couple of harrow's followers and they grab steven and they put him in a car and they're like we're gonna take you to harrow and while they're in the car and this is important to like the mystery of mark they mention that Mark Spector is this mercenary slash international fugitive. He was involved in this like mass execution while on this dig or something like that in Egypt. And, you know, oh, he's responsible for all these deaths. He's he's a bad guy. So you're just further kind of establishing Mark is bad personality. Stephen is good, innocent personality. As an audience member, I feel like you 
you see what is trying to be presented to you, but you also realize that like there's something more to it all that you you want to like get to. You know what I mean? Yeah, and we do get a little more of this because once Stephen finally meets Harrow, Harrow starts talking about utopia. Oh yeah, he's very like fortune cookie. Stephen does bring up like you guys would what you would judge a child, and then like if the child's turns out that he would do a bad thing you're just gonna kill a child i'm not really down with child death and then it just it devolves into give me the scarab steven and then layla shows up like i have the scarab and then they probably run away (laughs) harrow sends the fucking ghost demon jackal on them again and it just spills over into the streets of of london and it gets real messy steven oh that's they do the suit thing too that was cool yeah Steven's version of the suit is him in the white mask and a white suit. Yeah, like very Saturday Night Fever, and it's very funny. I think uh, Mark refers to it as Psycho Colonel Sanders, which yes. is hysterical. But yeah, I really loved that piece of it where, and I don't know if that's from the comics, but I, I loved that they both have different versions of the Moon Knight suit. I really liked that. I thought that was interesting and cool. Steven, of course, is struggling even with Layla helping him try to fight the invisible Egyptian jackal. Mark is like, pretty, pretty, please let me get in there and like leave this fucking thing away. So that's exactly what happens. Steven lets Mark come out. He leads the demon jackal away, impales it on a fucking spike. Great fucking shot. It was dope. Because when he impales the jackal, it's like him in the silhouette of the moon. I'm like hell of a shot there's some really great cinematography in here very dark and like spoopy it's it's cool definitely and in all this craziness harrow ends up getting the scarab and because like i said the uh, the scarab is a compass to amit's tomb that episode ends where they are off to egypt now we're really gonna get to know more about mark and this like i said episode three was the lowest rated but i still think some interesting things happened that were important we got a good fight scene with Mark trying to find Harrow's crew. We got the first hint at perhaps a third personality. What? Uh, yeah, we get that. We get a little bit of the backstory between Layla and Mark. Yeah. They're kind of like star-crossed lovers in a way. Like, they belong together, but they just can't. Wrong, maybe wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. Kind of situation. But yeah, they have like their first real scene together, just Mark and Layla talking about their relationship and like how Mark is very closed off in a lot of ways. And it just made me sad for them because they definitely do have chemistry. Yeah, the this whole episode is definitely one of the slower paced episodes. Yeah, and also it's very much a MacGuffin episode. Because Khonshu decides he's going to call a meeting with the gods and tell them about this whole situation with Harrow trying to awaken Amit. And the other gods don't believe him, but one of the gods wants to help. So he kind of gives them a hint like, oh, you have to find this random sarcophagus and it'll give you a clue as to where the tomb is. It's very MacGuffin-y. So they go and they find the sarcophagus and they get this clue. Stephen has to come back so he can help them because he's got all the Egyptian knowledge, you know. But certain things about this episode work. I really did like the the constellation effect because the whole thing is the, the clue that leads them to Amit's tomb relies on this constellation that's mapped out, but it's from 2,000 years ago. So because of the stars shift, Khonshu kind of turns the sky back in like a really cool, like, trippy effect to show the stars from like that specific day 2000 years ago and the other gods get so pissed off that they end up imprisoning Khonshu and like a little totem that they call an Ushapti so he's pissed off and and he tells he tells Steven when that happens he's like oh well tell Mark when he gets back to free me and it's like why would Mark want to free you if you're stuck in a little totem like a little action figure then he's free of you so why would he want to free you you asshole because without him they lose their powers and harrow's still trying to awaken the god that will kill everyone touche all right (laughs) and i also think the implication of another personality is important we touched on that very briefly but it's a really cool kind of subplot and it's so funny because when it is brought up, it's brought up so briefly and there's so much other shit going on that you almost like don't even think about it long term. You kind of yeah. just think of it as like a side thing. But 
there are multiple times throughout the show where you know like let's say they're fighting or whatever and mark blacks out and there's like multiple dead bodies around him and he looks around like what the fuck just happened and he for for some reason he when that happened the first time he turns around like in a reflection and says to steven what did you do really you think steven did that (laughs) like what the fuck do you mean it's so weird but it's so very like brief that the show even kind of just like just moves right along and like okay forget about that right now there's more important things like <laughs> we got to do this we got to go get this thing we got to go do this we got to go here so you don't even think about it until like the very end i think it was great the way that they yeah. introduced that whole like little subplot so now that we're halfway through our series we got episodes four five and six left to go through till we get to the end of this bad boy i think now's a good time to take a break and do some cast could have been we did mention that there were some interesting cast could have been for our main character being mark specter slash stephen grant i guess we can start with the internet fan favorite rami malik who is actually egyptian so in that regard it makes sense Rami Malek, I feel like he does such weird things. Not that this isn't like a unique and weird character, but I feel like I can't see him as playing both Steven and Mark, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. I can't see him playing that action-y guy. I've never been a huge Rami Malek fan. I, You know, I'm kind of in the same park as you, sir. I don't really... I don't hate Rami Malek. I don't particularly like him. I'm just kind of like apathetic about him. But um, there were some other ones in the mix that were being considered. Weirdly, Shia LaBeouf was in the mix. I mean, I like Shia LaBeouf, but Actual I don't. Shia LaBeouf. I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad they didn't just put a white guy in this. I do appreciate that. I feel like if it wasn't culturally specific, I feel like maybe it could have worked. But I mean, you know, Oscar Isaac isn't Egyptian. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he's Cuban and Guatemalan. But even Oscar Isaac, I believe, has made a joke about the fact that because of his skin tone and his look, he can be cast pretty much as anything from Jewish to Hispanic to Middle Eastern. I think the term he used was ethnically ambiguous, (laughs) which is kind of funny. But one I really like for this role particularly was uh pedro pascal was considered i think he would be an excellent choice if he wasn't doing mando obviously i feel like that would have been an awesome choice because he's great and uh last but not least i don't know who this is but scott will because he's into wrestling cm punk was considered (laughs) oh he's laughing okay that's funny okay good someone will think that's funny i don't even i have no idea who that is can you show me a picture uh sure i mean but can he act though? Has no. he done one of those wrestler movies? No, he hasn't. He hasn't done any of those movies. Oh, so you were gonna take him from the ring and put him in this? Well, okay. That's a mistake. Well, no. He... We should see if the guy can act first. Well, he can talk really well. He's a great talker, but I, I don't know if I could see him acting. Okay. Well, um, yeah. No, I'm okay. I'm okay with Oscar Isaac. I think in previous things, not just Star Wars. I think he's been underutilized, mainly in like franchise stuff. Like I know he was in an X Men movie, right? He played a big blue guy. Yeah, that, well, that's that was a bad movie. Uh, yeah, that's why I'm like fuck that. And then yeah, Star Wars obviously underutilized. So I think this is a great opportunity for him to get in a big franchise that will actually like honor his talent. And, you know, the fact that he's got an executive producer credit will definitely give him some clout in there as well. So I'm very happy for him. I swear to God, we're going to get to episode five, which is like what I said was the best episode. And I think Scott would agree. Yes. I after watching that episode, I was like, oh, Oscar Isaac's going to get nominated for an Emmy for the show, which I didn't think was that crazy because I believe if I'm not mistaken, Elizabeth Olsen got nominated for an Emmy for WandaVision. So I was like, it's not out of pocket. The idea of Oscar Isaac getting nominated for an Emmy for this a comic book show. Listen, I was certain and he did get nominated for an Emmy, just not for this. He's so good in this. He's excellent in this. Because you care about both of these guys and they're both very distinct characters 
and they're both played by the same fucking guy and you believe completely 150% that they are two different people. This is a fucking Emmy. Anyway, now that our good guys know where Amit's tomb is, Steven and Layla go to the tomb and now we kind of start the weird sort of subplot that Steven is in love with Layla or like really digs her and he kisses her at one point which is like it's the most awkward sad kiss because she's like oh you smell like him meaning Mark and like you can tell that she really loves Mark but there definitely is like a divide between them like because in the last episode Harrow shows up in the middle of all this craziness trying to get this information about the tomb and he alludes to the idea that Mark is being dishonest with Layla about something big. And it's like, she asks him, like, do I even know who you are? And he's like, no, you never did. And you can tell they're both just so sad because <laughs> she loves him. And it, she's like teary eyed and he's just pushing her away. It just makes me sad. But yeah, so Stephen and Layla kiss and it's super awkward and Mark's like before that Mark's like if you touch her Stephen I swear to god I'll throw us both off of a cliff. I was like that's great. <laughs> and then he punches him in the face. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, then we get kind of like the exploration of the tomb. That I honestly feel like this episode was slower than 3. Uh, I, I feel like 3 and 4 are both equally pretty like slow moving because for a while like most of this episode is just them running around the tomb yeah and trying to find what they need but you do quickly find out like all of kind of like mark's secrets for layla yeah that was sad because at one point steven and layla split up and steven ends up finding amit's ushapti uh which is the little totem uh so that works out but really this episode is a lot about Layla specifically like she ends up fighting off this like zombie Egyptian priest that's skulking around the fucking tomb why is there a zombie priest I don't know but it's there so she like kicks ass completely and like it's a really cool moment and then of course Harrow shows up and it is revealed that Mark was part of the group of mercenaries that got her father killed her father was part of this group of archaeologists that were on this dig in egypt and he along with several other archaeologists ended up getting killed she's devastated but she goes and i like how when she goes to confront him she's like okay i want to talk to mark what happened to my dad and mark immediately comes back like he's like oh shit i'm in trouble (laughs) okay okay i can explain yeah we get the explanation Mark says that he didn't kill her father, but he was there. His partner, they say the partner's name, so I feel like at some point this partner is going to come up Probably. again. But his partner in this mercenary bullshit, he got greedy and decided he wanted to take all the spoils for himself, so he killed everybody. He also left Mark for dead because Mark tried to stop it. He obviously is very guilty because he was there and he couldn't stop it. Yes, and Harrow shows up, and Mark tries to fight back, but uh, he gets shot in the chest. Yep, this is where the show takes a sharp left turn, and I was so excited, because I'm like, ooh, I wonder what Scott's going to say. I was very excited to watch Scott watch this. We get really weird and existential, and we end up in a psychiatric facility where we're like what's real what's not real all the characters in the show are now in this psychiatric facility harrow is the main doctor and you're like what the fuck just happened yeah mark is in a mental institution he's trying to look in the reflection of the window and call out to steven he's not there and then he tries to escape he ducks into another patient room where there's a sarcophagus in there and out of the sarcophagus comes steven as a whole different person (laughs) obviously oscar isaac as well so they did like a split screen and they hug and they're like what how is this happening why why am i hugging you (laughs) and then believe it or not guys it gets even weirder this is the best ending to an episode that I've ever seen. Like, I can't think of a better ending to an episode. They go to the double doors of this mental ward to try to escape. 
and they see a hippo, <laughs> a big giant hippo. And in a like a grown like 20 something year old woman's voice, she says, hi. And they, <laughs> they scream in like the most terrifying, hilarious way. And I'm just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I just love that about yeah. the show. And then episode five cuts in right at that point and <laughs> my emotions my emotion this episode is my absolute favorite i think it's the best acting of the whole series from oscar isaac uh i think this is like the real pinnacle of the character study this is where we get like all the reveals about who mark is who steven is and it's just oh it's like heart-wrenching this episode the hippo goddess is named Tewedit. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, and she is there to guide Stephen and Mark through the afterlife. The psych hospital that they are in, it's placed on a boat that is traveling through the afterlife. And the psych hospital represents Mark slash Stephen's consciousness and memories. So Tawetta takes mark and steven's hearts and uh balances them on the scales of justice and they are unbalanced shocker so she's like okay uh we got some time before i get to like you know the gates or whatever so here's the deal you go back in there into the into the psych ward and you figure your shit out and then if the scales are balanced then you can go to the field of reeds aka heaven and if you don't work it out then the dead will come for you and you'll be dragged down into the underworld so that's the stakes right now steven and mark are like wait a minute we don't want to die <laughs> we got shit we got to take care of so like what if you help us out because you know if you don't this guy Harrow is gonna like destroy the world and stuff. So like, why don't you help us out, girl, and call up our friend Layla, get word to her that she has to release Conchu from his prison, and that way, when we balance our scales of justice or whatever, you can put us back in our old body that has been shot to shit. But Conchu will be there, and he can bring us back to life. And Tawetta is like, okay, cool. So you do that and I'll do my thing and we'll, we'll all be cool. So this is the stakes of the episode. So now we got to go back into the psych ward and like unwrap some fucking presence of trauma. trauma. <laughs> we got to peel back the layers on this onion, Shrek. Let's do this. Different rooms equal different memories in the psych ward. There's a whole fucking room just filled with people that Mark has killed. <laughs> And then Steven in the corner of the room sees a little boy named Randall. And he's like, Mark, why is there a little boy in a room full of people that you have killed? And Mark's like, don't go near that little boy. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Don't pay attention. And Steven's like, fuck you. I'm going. So he goes and follows the little boy. Mark chases after him, but he gets fucking locked out. We learn the real root of the problem with uh, Mark's trauma, I guess. Mark basically as a child accidentally led to his brother dying in a cave that he drowned in. His mother blamed him yes, and um, abused him because of it. It's sad in the beginning because there's little like pieces of things that were alluded to earlier like the whole Laters Gators line. You see young Mark say to his mom, Laters Gators and the mom says, oh in a while crocodile and you're just like, oh when you've seen the show before you're like oh my god this is gonna hurt so bad mark ends up kind of breaking into this whole thing and grabs steven and pulls him out before he can see anything more with his mom but he pulls him out into a memory of the whole craziness with the execution thing with uh with layla's dad and all these other archaeologists and you see mark bleeding half dead crawling up towards Conchu's altar and um he's about to shoot himself because he's he feels like he's just so guilty about everything and he's gonna die anyway so he's about to do it and Conchu kind of manipulates him into taking up the moon knight mantle and you see him turn turn into moon knight for the first time and it's it's kind of it's just sad to see it. But uh, after looking into all this stuff, the the scales still aren't balanced. So Steven's like, we have to go back to when 
when you were a kid because clearly this is something happened when you were a kid and he's like no I don't want to go meh and he like freaks out and then gets zapped back into Dr. Harrow's office which that whole aspect of it is super creepy because it's just it feels so real too that like you feel like oh he could really be just crazy but also it's like that office is definitely like his subconscious that like it's telling him like okay you have this is what you have to do like you have to work it out yeah because in this moment mark doesn't want to go any further with all this like digging into memory stuff and dr harrow is the one that tells mark you have to open up to steven and then they go back into the bedroom where he was a little kid and steven sees his mom abusing him and that's how Stephen was created to kind of help him deal with that. And then Stephen finds out that he isn't the original personality that he was created by Mark. And he was he's obviously very upset by that. And he kind of freaks out. And then he ends up in Dr. Harrow's office because Mark also reveals that his mom is deceased. And Dr. Harrow helps him understand that his mom is dead. So clearly this office with Dr. Harrow is something in his subconscious that knows the truth and that is like, okay, the truth has to come out. And we were trying to figure out why he would manifest that as Harrow. Yeah. He's kind of like an outside figure that I don't think there's anybody else in the show you would be able to use as that doctor character that would motivate them to look inside themselves as strongly. Yeah. So after Stephen accepts that his mom is dead, he's able to look into this specific memory that earlier on they kind of just breezed right past and they didn't think about really at all. It's a image of Mark from like just a few months ago standing outside his old family home while his mom's shiva was going on. And he's standing outside and he's drinking from a flask and he's really upset and he's standing out there and he can't go in. And his dad looks in from the window and is like, come on, come on. Mark's like, no, no. And this is the best scene in the entire show. Yeah, because Stephen comes and like basically like consoles Mark. Mark is also kind of like talking with Stephen and they're both kind of helping each other out of this situation. Yeah, but even just like the whole part where Mark is walking down the street and he kneels down and starts crying and he's angry and yeah. slamming the like it's just so well acted and that's the part that made me like cry watching this the first time. Oh yeah, but when he turns into Steven there yeah. and then Steven's automatically just kind of talking on the phone going, "Where the hell am I?" Yeah, and then the subconscious like soul Steven that's watching it all is like just so devastated looking at it and he feels so bad and then he sees Mark and he's like this isn't your fault like none of this was your fault before this they have fought so hard against each other because they're like I'm the original no I'm the original you're a bad guy no you're a bad guy but now it's like oh they both see each other for what they are and who they are and they're the same and they're one well, person yeah. and their bond is they're like brothers kind of in a weird way it's like sad but like beautiful and well yeah well, Mark created Stephen to again hide from all his pain and just be like the happy go lucky like oh yeah everything will be fine and he took all the brunt of the pain and the suffering yeah so it's kind of like you, it's the yin and the yang you need the positive but you also do need the negative because you can't move on without having both yeah, so that's what I mean, like, when it's a character study, it's really just looking into how all this trauma affects this one person and makes them who they are. But yeah, right at this moment, that's when the ship stops. They go out to speak with Tawedit again, and their scales are still unbalanced. So the dead of the underworld start coming up onto the ship to come for them and at first mark is like okay steven just just hide i got this and he starts fighting like normal you know mark being mark 
and steven's trying to help by like steering the ship this way and that to like get them off their balance but then he's like wait a minute if i'm part of mark that means that i am like mark too and i can fight and be a badass too so he starts fighting the dead people too and that was really cool it was like a burst of confidence like yeah i'm a badass too bitch but then he falls overboard he does oh but also that's what i meant too about like because now that we know that steven is the made up personality that's what i meant about how like the accent is like over the top british <laughs> like clearly over the top british like if it's a little kid making up a british accent like that's what he a little kid would do it's yeah. like kind of a, like an obnoxious like over the top british accent yeah most likely i just think that's like a cool detail but anyway this this whole show is full of cool details yeah this scene was really sad too steven falls overboard and Mark screams, Steven, like just so sad, stop the boat. And he's trying to go against Steven. And then Steven just freezes like in the sand and his supposedly his soul's yes. getting pulled into the underworld. And then Mark wakes up in heaven. Yeah, because now magically his scales are balanced, I guess, because Steven is gone. Well, because now he is whole. He is one. I, he, is, he is without two personalities, I guess. So he's completely balanced, I suppose. But... He doesn't feel balanced. He feels wrong for leaving him there. So he ends up going back to get Steven. And to what it's like, well, if you leave, you can't come back. And he's like, okay. And then he just goes and he goes to get Steven. I just love their bond. They have like the greatest moment when he literally goes back to the underworld to go get Steven. And he's like, I'm probably going to die. But like, I just want you to know I didn't abandon you. And he, he starts to turn to sand and they like hold hands. And it's like, buddy, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess I don't know why it happens. I think because when they joined together, they became one because Mark had his heart yeah. in his hands and he held it with Steven's hand. And then once they were like holding hands and he got frozen, they were frozen together. And then they kind of just clearly became one. Indeed. And then they both came back to life. And yeah. it's like, ah, you guys are back. While all of this is going on. <laughs> Meanwhile, so this leads us into the final episode. Layla has just watched her husband get shot and killed. Uh, she says a, a very tear-filled goodbye to him. I just thought that was really good, too, that whole scene. Indeed. Where she kind of just cries and, like, lets him go. And she clearly has a look on her face like, I'm going to kill this motherfucker for killing you, bitch. She follows Harrow and his crew. And before she can kind of get to Harrow because obviously because they're bad guys they kill a bunch of people along the way so as Layla's trying to like get to Harrow to kill him Tawetta possesses multiple dead people to try to talk to Layla and she's like what the fuck what is happening she's like Mark told you to stop don't go after Harrow <laughs> he have to free Conchu and she's like what the fuck is going on so she eventually does follow Harrow and his crew to like the big tomb where all the gods met before and she goes to free Khonshu while Harrow uses the Ushapti to free Amit and she's this big crocodile lady and then Layla frees Khonshu and he's like hey Layla you want to join me be my avatar and she's like no you fucking asshole why would I want to do that so Layla tells Khonshu like listen I'm all about getting rid of Amit but I'm not going to enslave myself to do it so like this is the deal I'll help you but I'm not going to be your slave bitch so he's like fine so Khonshu has like a little mini showdown with Amit Meanwhile, Amit makes Harrow her avatar. So it's about to be a battle of the avatars, but we're not the blue people. Don't worry. We're going to get there, I'm sure. Probably this year, right? The second avatar movie comes yeah. out. Does anyone care? I'm being honest. Like, does anyone care about Avatar 2, Electric Boogaloo? Like, nobody really cares that much. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry, I just had to, like, get that off my chest. So as uh, Mark slash Steven comes back to life, Khonshu senses Mark in the universe and he goes back to him and he's like, ha, you're the moon knight again, bitch. Let's go save the world. Yes. And while all this is going on, Layla's like <laughs> gets uh, another call from Tawadi? Tawedit. 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 Yeah, sure. Gets another call from Tawedit. 
And but it's like, hey, why don't you be my temporary avatar? I have a suit for you and everything. The suit is pretty fucking badass. Like, not gonna lie, it's filled with many, many much knives. And she's like a badass Egyptian superhero, and I love it. I I I love it very, very much. Ahmet's followers start judging people and killing people. Yeah, this is. Amit starts eating their souls and Harold's helping her. This whole fight at the end just kind of... I I don't know if it feels rushed and... It is a little bit. I mean, the best thing about it, I'll say, like, they have a whole thing where Amit and Khonshu are fighting. Like, this crocodile, giant crocodile lady and this giant skeleton bird are fighting. I don't really care about that. I care more about Mark and Harold fighting because at, at one point Harold brings up the brother randall and he's like if amit had killed you your family would still be happy and alive and they're fighting and then layla's fighting kicking ass layla saves mark and they have a nice reunion and the cool thing about mark and steven is that now they are seamlessly going back and forth like there's no like okay give me the body steven give me the body uh, mark you know come on man but they're just seamlessly going back and forth like they are one entity which is kind of cool but also weird just practically like moving forward in normal life like how is this going to work with your wife i don't know but (laughs) okay uh but eventually everything's starting to look very bad mark blacks out Mm -hmm. and then everybody's fucking unconscious or dead or dead harrow's not dead harrow looks fucked up though and layla's like Mark, what the fuck was that? And Mark's like, uh, I don't fucking know. Uh, was that know. you, Steven? And no. Steven's like, uh, it wasn't me. Yeah. But now that we're at the end of the fucking show, when that happened, you're like, as an audience member, you're like, oh, wait, yeah, that's a thing that's been happening. We should be concerned about this. <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> they take Amit, lock here in ha- Harrow's body. Yeah. You brought up something interesting. You're like, hmm, how do they know this fucking spell to bind amit to harrow's body i kind of think i've answered that in my head well i've wikied it you answer it and then i'll tell you if you're right okay i think it's because they are the avatars of two ancient egyptian gods that the egyptian gods just granted them the knowledge to do this yes basically that's what it says in the wiki so they just magically have this knowledge because they are avatars and they are able to bind amit to harrow's body Kanshu wants him killed because that will obviously kill Harrow as well as Amit. But Mark refuses. And Stephen and Mark are released from their servitude to Kanshu. And th- in my mind, I feel like when I first watched it, I'm like, that was too easy. <laughs> but then we cut to Amit slash Harrow in a psych ward being rolled out by a mysterious figure. Who has clearly knocked out an orderly or killed an orderly? It seems killed. There's a puddle of blood by the guy's oh, neck. Oh, was there a so puddle? I didn't see a puddle. Yeah, no, that that guy's for sure dead. Uh, <laughs> drags out, throws Harrow in the back of a limousine, kicks the wheelchair down. It's very dramatic. <laughs> and then Kanju's there in a suit, and I'm like, oh my god, yeah, what are we doing? Super cheesy and dramatic. You were funny because the episode ended. The credits started rolling. So we're just never going to find out who this other personality is. And I'm like, oh, we are. And he's like, but they're rolling the credits. I'm like, Scott, are you fucking kidding me, dude? What do they do in every Marvel thing ever in since the dawn of time? But but TV show. No, I don't give a fuck. We're doing a mid-credits scene, bitch. Fucking get ready. So, yeah. So they're in the fucking limo. And it's it's so silly. But the, and it's, it gets even sillier because Khonshu knocks on the window of the limo and he's like, I would like you to meet my friend, Jake Lockley. And Oscar Isaac turns around in the front seat with like the funniest mug face and he's got like the like the Newsies hat on. I know there's an actual name for it. I don't know what it is, but it's the fucking Newsies hat, okay? So he's got a Newsies hat on. He's very scary. He's got like the mean mug on and he shoots Harrow twice in the chest. And that's why Kanshu released Steven and Mark so easily because he's like, I don't give a shit about you guys. I got the real motherfucker right here. <laughs> he don't give a fuck. 
yeah, that's Moon Knight. It ends so interestingly and weirdly because you don't know where it leaves off with Mark and Steven because they still clearly have these sleep issues because they end the episode where they're still tied to the bed. You know, the fucking like 60s song from the beginning plays again and they just fall flat on their faces out of the bed. I'm like, oh, there's still something going on. And then obviously the mid credit scene. But yeah, also it does leave something open because Layla's not in the end scene. So you're like, what happened to Layla? Like there's all these questions that I want to know the answer to. So I'm I'm very ready for season two. But Scotty, what did you think of Moon Knight? I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Oscar Isaac did a great job. It definitely left me wanting more. I gave it a four out of five. Is it one of my favorite ones? It's probably third behind Loki and WandaVision, but it's still very good. I also gave it a four out of five. I agree completely with everything you're saying. I think the strong points are really, really strong. And the weak points, they're weak, but they're not weak enough or frequent enough for me to be mad at it at all, really. like I think the strong points of this series vastly outweigh and overshadow the weak points so i'm very happy with it oscar isaac does amazing all the actors and performers really do a great job there's no weak link in here like despite the fact that harrow the character of harrow is gone i'm kind of bummed about that because he was a very interesting villain but uh yeah four out of five i do kind of agree that wandavision is probably my favorite followed by loki and then this is three. And I just, I love not only the mystery aspect of it, but it also has the deep dive into a character that, like we said, have, we've never met before. So we really have no reason to care about this guy, you know, in the world of Marvel. But we do immediately. I think a lot of that has to do with Oscar Isaac. So next week... We are still very much in Marvel mode. We are going back to movies, but we are watching yet another Marvel film in our monthly Marvel series. I'm excited for this one because there's a sequel to this movie coming out in November. <laughs> Bet you can guess what we're going to watch. So I'm excited to get into it. Sorry we're having a back-to-back Marvel situation, but hey, this season's all about Marvel. So just get the fuck over it, all right? Get over it. Get get all the way off my back about that. So until next week, this has been Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick and check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our kick-ass Oscar-winning movie adventure. I am the knight. The moon knight? Ah! Ah!